I think we're ready. I think. Are we there? All right. Good morning, Christ Central. It's so good to be here today. And uh, I'm just so appreciative of our weekend last week. It was such a great time to be together for a couple of days and just to really be able to be without our normal daily distractions as much as possible and to spend time together uh, both with each other and in God's presence. It was great. Wonderful. Love the worship this morning. It just reminds me of the fact that, you know what, we are born with the desire for somebody bigger than ourselves. And our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, had it all together, didn't they? They had it all together. Walk in the cool of the day with Yahweh, speaking to him, interacting with him, loving him, being loved on, being in relationship. It was amazing. And unfortunately, they decided to go their own way and construct their own future by listening to a lie from the serpent. And in effect, the rest is history. And from that point forward, the trajectory of mankind was, was impacted and affected and we found ourselves separated from this beautiful, wonderful relationship that they had. And yet, God's word says in Ecclesiastes that we are made and designed for somebody bigger than ourselves. So even in our fallenness, even in our brokenness, there's something in us that screams and yells and desires for something else. And we try to find our purpose and our meaning and our identity in so many different things. We try to find our identity in trying to please others. In trying to maybe please the desires of our parents or our community around us. We try to do all kinds of things to strive to please. We try to find our identity by looking inwardly and trying to figure it out. And all of it, doesn't matter which style or way that you try to find yourself in, can only be found in one way, and that is Understanding that our identity is not achieved, it can't be done by trying to do stuff, trying to impress others, trying to convince ourselves of our own reality. Our identity is not achieved, our identity is received, it's given us. Our identity is given to us by our Father who loves us, and gave his son Jesus Christ to us. Wow. It's not even in my message today. 
few days ago, I was reflecting on what to share this morning, and I guess it was earlier in Monday or Tuesday, and I just had this feeling that I think we need to remind ourselves of a few things. Remind ourselves, and this is the, the reminding was this, that I think we need to remind ourselves of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how he is so Im- intimately involved with us. So, having chatted with Joe about this, I didn't realize that Joe says, well, I got a couple weeks that I have to speak. And so I said, well, why don't, why don't we kind of do like a little primer, part one, two, and three. This is, as you can see, this is part one. Joe, for the next two weeks, is going to take the theme of the Holy Spirit and his work to part two and three. So he's, I know, going to be listening because, and taking notes because he's going to pick up where I leave off, and hopefully I can leave him not in a mess. So I'm going to start with the basics this morning. Are we good with that? Because sometimes we just need to start at square one. And we've seen this morning already that, you know, we, we don't come here just to sing songs and to be together. Although as good as those two things could be, we could do karaoke for that matter, right? But we're not doing karaoke. We're coming here. We gather together on a Sunday morning. We gather to God. We're gathering as a people to worship God and to give God what he's due, and that is our worship. Because we are wired and we're hard fastened for worship. All you have to do is look around, and we know that we are going to worship something. Everybody worships. Everybody. Every single human worships. It's just, what are you worshiping? We worship. Every human being is hardwired for trust. Every human being is hardwired for worship and for trust. And because of the brokenness that I just described a few minutes ago, we end up pursuing things and trying to fill our lives with things that don't give us purpose and meaning, and those things are dead ends, but they're indicative and they're evidence of the fact that we're looking for somebody greater. And our trust that is broken in our lives, and all of us have had broken trust in our lives, all of us find ourselves desiring trust. But we're wired for it, you see, because it's part of who we are. It's how God has made us. And so he speaks to us. And this morning, it was so wonderful just to be in worship. Like I said, we're not just singing songs. We're singing to our God. We're worshiping Yahweh, the giver of life, who speaks to us as we worship him. It's amazing corporately to do that. And so this morning, I just want to begin by just saying that we're a people who value the word of God and his work in our lives. So, Gary, hold on. You value the word of God and his work in our lives. And so, the word, of course, that I'm speaking about is Jesus. I'm not simply talking about the Bible. The Bible, yes, contains the word of God, 
but I don't worship the Bible. I worship the Word. And the Word is Jesus. He is the Word. The Word, of course, is He who gave Himself for us. He's the living Word. He's the one who's present at creation, who spoke creation into existence. So now we're going to really go basic. In John chapter 1, in the New Testament, it says this, that in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And I think I even have the slide. I think. Dave, could you, this doesn't seem to be functioning. Could you just move my slides along? And we'll more or less be there. Here we go. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, Jesus was present at creation. He spoke creation into existence. Not only that, everything that was created was for him. So he spoke creation into existence, and that creation that he created was for him. He holds all things together. It says in Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians, he says this, he says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He holds it all together. It's fair to say that over the course of church history, that we've come to understand that Jesus, by his spirit, holds everything together. And largely over church history, the Holy Spirit and his work has been misunderstood, underappreciated, and even ignored. You see, the holding together of humanity and creation is done for Jesus, by Jesus, through his spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, through church history, has been largely ignored. Oh, good. There's been more concentration on the Father and the Son, Jesus, and oftentimes, it becomes more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And so there's a separation, and he's misunderstood. But it says in 1 Corinthians 2, this. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spirit's truth, the spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. To be truly spiritual is to be a child of Jesus. 
To be truly spiritual is to be one who hears what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. But we ignore him at our peril. And largely, and I hate to say it, but you know, it's really true. The church over the past 2,000 years, there's been an ignorance of him, the Spirit. Now, there have been pockets And there have been outbreaks of his spirit. But he's been largely left to the side. He's been misunderstood. He's a person. The spirit of Christ, it says in Romans 8, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He is a person. He's the spirit of Jesus by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. When Christ comes into our life and redeems us, we can then, because of his spirit who lives in us, and you see, that's the first sign and indicator that you are a child of God is that the spirit of God lives within you. When you receive Christ in your life, when you lay down your agendas, when you lay down your designs on purpose and meaning and you say jesus i'm going to get my purpose and my meaning from you what happens is a beautiful thing a supernatural thing actually the spirit of god comes to live resident within you the holy spirit thinks it says in acts 15 for it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us the apostles are trying to make some decisions and the holy spirit actually was thinking with them. He speaks. He leads us. It says in the scriptures in Romans, Paul says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit grieves. He can grieve. When we ignore him, he grieves. How many have ever ignored the Spirit? I have, if we're honest, don't we all sometimes think that my own understanding is better? That grieves him. It makes him sad. It's fair to say that the spirit can be resisted, but he wants to take control of your life for good. We struggle with this, these mysteries, don't we? Because the way the Holy Spirit works in our life is so variable. Hard enough to understand Jesus, but what about his spirit? So what's he like? What's been his role through history? Well, first of all, he was involved in creation. We talked about Jesus being there present at creation. Well, the Spirit was present at creation as well. And just as I said earlier, how does all things, how are all things held together? It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit of Jesus. We're told in Genesis that the Spirit hovered over the chaos. It's a beautiful image, actually, because later in the Scriptures, when Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. 
and the father affirms Jesus, right? Here's my son whom I'm well pleased. But this term from the Hebrew Bible where it talks about the spirit hovering over the chaos, it's as if the spirit hovers like a dove in the chaos. Before creation, he's present. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. He sustains creation. He's the animating force of creation, giving life. Jesus speaking creation into existence. The Spirit bringing life. Out of the chaos, the Spirit brings the cosmos. Out of disorder, he brings order. Out of confusion, he brings harmony. Out of deformity, he brings beauty. Out of the old, he brings the new. And guess what, folks? Just as he did at the beginning, he's still doing it now. He's still doing it. He's bringing order to your disorder. He's bringing harmony to your confusion. He's bringing beauty to your deformity in life, whatever that looks like. He's bringing new, replacing the old. That's how the Spirit of God works. He wants to bring order and harmony and beauty and newness because he's the creator spirit. He's still doing it today, folks. And next, we see that the Spirit brings life to human beings. Genesis 2-7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Wow. The Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 is ruach. And it's a very similar word to the word that's used here for breath. And so God breathes life into mankind. Man and woman. Breath, spirit. The breath of God brings life, brings physical life, brings spiritual life. We read that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus, if you look at the scriptures, he's referring to Genesis and the creative power of the Spirit. When someone decides that they are going to receive Christ into their life, as Christ draws you to himself, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and he breathes on you the breath of life, the Ruach of the Father. Secondly, through the Old Testament, the Spirit of God rested upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. So one, he's present at creation, in all aspects of creation. And secondly, through the Old Testament or through the Hebrew, Bi through the Hebrew Bible, the Spirit comes at different times on particular people. For particular things. Remember, separated from God. And every so often we see in the Hebrew Bible that the Spirit comes. 
operates and moves through individuals. Some examples of that. There's a guy named Bezalel. And he, in Exodus 31, it says that, God says, I have filled him with the spirit of God with ability and intelligence. So here's this craftsman that was given spiritual power for craftsmanship. On Gideon, for leadership, in Judges 6, the Lord says to him, I will be with you. For Samson, for power and strength in Judges 15. And then, over many prophets, one of whom, Isaiah. Isaiah 63, a very familiar passage. I'll read a part of it. The, the spirit, he prophesies about the future. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve. He wants to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And all Isaiah would have to look around and he would know that's not the state of condition in Israel. It's a future thing. It's a promise thing. It's an amazing thing. If you want to sum up all of the Hebrew Bible, it could be summed up in actually just one word, and that word is promise. The Holy Spirit was promised in the Hebrew Bible, Bible by the Father. It says, so God says, I'm going to do something new in Jeremiah 31. People are in the worst state they could be in. And it says this, I'm going to do something new. This is my promise. Instead of the law being outside, something that you're trying to keep but fail. Sound familiar? You're striving. He said, I'm going to put it inside so that you really want to do it, that it comes from your heart. Isaiah 43 says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness, and I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. And always when you see words like rivers, oil, fire, in the Hebrew Bible, always referring to the life of the Spirit coming, promised, but not yet. So how does he do this? What's his plan? How can the promise of the Father be fulfilled? It says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you, here's what he's going to do. He promises this. Nowhere in evidence. Like, they're saying, what? Seriously? It says this. Here's what the Father promises. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Get this. I will put my spirit in you. Not on you. Not around you. 
not in front of you, not behind you. I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you because my spirit will be in you. He will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So he's given us the internal motivation and ability to do the things that he desires because he's poured his spirit out in us. That's how he does it. By the spirit coming to live within us. So the big question is, to whom does this apply? They're used to this. The spirit coming on certain ones at certain times for certain tasks. But it says this, another promise, remember, promise is the word for the Hebrew Bible. Joel chapter 2 says this. It's a scripture that many of you might be familiar with. This is what God says through Joel. For afterwards, you remember folks, things are bad. There's no evidence of this anywhere. The people are in idolatry. They've been taken into slavery. They're in Babylon. Things are not good. And all these wonderful promises. Do you not perceive I'm doing a new thing? I'll put in you a heart of flesh. Take out the heart of stone. Pour my spirit in you. And he says this. For afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. All people. All people. Gangsters. Porn stars. Politicians, teachers, fathers, mothers, everybody, all people, no exceptions. Nobody is too far, last I checked. As we said last week at the church weekend, like, seriously, if it wasn't for Jesus and what he's done, and pouring out his spirit in our lives, would we be together? You, seriously. He's the unifying factor here. It's not some special interest club. He's the one that we come to. We all come from diverse backgrounds. We all come from diverse struggles. We all come from shame. We come from having trust blown in our lives, and we've come from abusive situations. We've come from places where we've been the abuser on all people, criminals, the disenfranchised, the wealthy, the lowly. He says this, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams Emma just said this morning, like, dreaming dreams. She had a dream this week. Now, Emma, I'm not making any statement about your age. <laughs> it says, prophesy, your old men and women will dream dreams. Your young men and women will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women 
I will pour out my spirit on those days. Whew. That's the promise of the Father. The promise remained unfulfilled for over 300 years from the point, the point where that promise was made, well over 300, closer to 400 years before anything. And then with the birth of Jesus, it's like a trumpet sounds and everybody connected with the birth of Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Right? In Luke 1 we read John the Baptist. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, Jesus' aunt. Zechariah, Jesus' uncle. All get filled with the Spirit. But, get this. It's still particular people at particular times. Right? Fourthly, John the Baptist is the first person to make this link between the promise of the Hebrew Bible, the promise of the Old Testament, and Jesus. In Luke 3.16, he says this. He, Jesus, will be the one who will do that which Joel was talking about. He'll be the one who baptizes you with the Spirit and with fire. Baptism with water is important, and we had the joy of baptizing four people last week at Green Hill Lake, but it's not enough. Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. In secular Greek, the word baptize means to overwhelm, to immerse, to plunge, to drench. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little story. So I had the pleasure of baptizing Isaac last week. It was cold. He was wrapped in a blanket before we went in the lake. And he was shivering, shaking. I wrapped my arms around him. He was in front of me. I, was I, was, I had the joy of with his dad of baptizing him, but he was with me, and I had my arms wrapped around him. The poor little guy was shaking like a leaf, and it, you know. Now, part of it was because he was cold, but he was also, I think, like a little bit concerned about the fact that Gary was about to overwhelm, immerse, plunge, and drench him in the water. And so, he was too cold to walk into the water, so I picked him up, and I walked in the water with him. And when we got to the appropriate place, he said, this is good. And I said, no, it's not deep enough. <laughs> he said, this is good. And it's not deep enough. Went a little deeper. Finally, we stopped. We turned around. We were ready. He's a strong little guy. Isaac, you're the first one that resisted being baptized. And so I had him, and I had my hand on his chest and my other hand on the, the small of his back, and I looked at his father, and I said, okay, we're, we're good in here, right? And so I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and I went to put him, push him down in the water. He wasn't going. <laughs> you didn't see that from the shore. He wasn't going, and I'm like, I'm going to have to use some of my grown-up man strength. So I started to push him down, and when his face was just about covered with water, from the deepest part of his bowels, he found the fortitude to somehow, in that awkward angle, stop me from pushing his face under. At which point, grown-up man strength kicked in again. <laughs> <laughs> 
boom, under the water, back up again quickly, but we had to make sure that he was immersed, drenched, and plunged. Good job, Isaac. But here's the thing, folks. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. What the Spirit wants to do, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, is he wants to drench us, immerse us, and put us under in his presence. But sometimes it takes Holy Spirit strength to push us under, right? Sometimes we're a little resistant because we're afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's always, when I talk to people afterwards who have received his spirit and are walking with Jesus, they're like, why didn't I do this so long ago? Why was I so resistant? I was trying to do it my way, and it's like, so much better doing it the way that the Holy Spirit wants to do it. Jesus himself, he was completely full of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. It says in Luke 3, it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, like I said earlier. Jesus says this. Remember Isaiah 63, he says this, rocked everybody, everybody's world, particularly, big surprise, the religious. The religious leaders were offended at Jesus because he stood up, he opened the scroll, he went right to Isaiah 63 by design, without fear, and with authority said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the you poor. <clears throat> Quoting directly from Isaiah, making connections, fulfilling promises. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus predicts the coming of the Spirit. He says, I'm the one. I'm the one who's anointed to preach good news. I am the one. And he says in John chapter 7, he says this, and I won't go into the details of the situation, but it's an amazing story. If you want to read John chapter 7, the festival of booths and everything that's taken place. And at the last greatest day of the feast, when there's hundreds, even thousands gathered and you could hear a pin drop. And the high priest is ready to pour out water. Jesus, in a very quiet voice, sheepishly said, no. Jesus called out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from within them. Because I'm putting my spirit in you, my spirit, remember I said about rivers, my spirit, like a river, is going to flow through your life. He meant the Spirit literally out of their inmost being. In other words, Jesus is saying, not only will I satisfy your spiritual thirst, but then you will become a source of blessing, a source of life to others. You see, it's not just for you. He comes, fulfills his promise with you, 
because it's, as Joe has said many times, and we've been banging on it about it for the last couple of years, it's for the sake of others, folks. It's for others. The disciples, they had to wait. And I'm going to stop there. Because there is more. There's the cross. There's the resurrection. And there's what follows. But hopefully this morning, what I've done is whet your appetites a little bit. Because Jesus said in John 14, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, like he's with his disciples. And like they're like hanging on every word. And they're like, you know what? It is so good to be with you, Jesus. We've walked with you for three years. This has been wonderful. We've seen you do so many things. We have done things in your name. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. And Jesus said, au contraire. He says, I gotta go. But when the Father sends the advocate, you know what an advocate is? He represents, right? He's like heaven's lawyer, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. How many want peace of mind and peace of heart? I do. The only way you can have true peace of mind and peace of heart is through his spirit. It's the only way. You can try all manner of things. It's the only way. There are ways to cope, but the only way to get to the root of the problem is by the giving of peace of mind and peace of heart through the received identity that the Holy Spirit gives you because he is the spirit of Jesus. So he says, the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. Didn't say that the world sometimes can't give you. He says, can't. Can't give it to you. So, don't be troubled and don't be afraid to be drenched. He says this in John 16, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. Yeah, it's like, don't leave us. But in fact, it's best for you I go away. Because if I don't go, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, <clears throat> he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it, here's the world's sin. This is, this is me. 41 years ago, I was refusing to believe. I had opportunity, but I refused to believe. I, I was like, I was really angry like, at even the thought that God would exist. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. There's much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the spirit will tell you 
whatever he receives from me. Folks, what a promise. What a joy that he's given us. It's amazing. I'm going to ask Holly and the team to come if you have a song. I don't promise has been fulfilled Jesus has done it he was obedient even to go to the cross it says in the scriptures that Jesus says uh, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith and this will be this for the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorned its shame. Think about this. Jesus was nailed to a cross, and it wasn't a sanitized version. He was naked on a cross, tortured, didn't even look human, and did that for us because a sacrifice was demanded. Gave his life, three days later, gloriously risen from the dead. And now is seated at the right hand of the Father, and not a long time after that, he said, wait in Jerusalem because my spirit is coming. Folks, this is that which Joel talked about. Peter said, this is that. My spirit has come. Folks, let's stand. Let's stand. This is just part one. But I just want to pray that Perhaps you've got questions. Perhaps you're like, oh, man, like there's a lot coming at me this morning here. A lot to process. Yeah, there's a lot to process. The notes will be in the live stream if you want to chat about this week. But I want to pray that the Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus. You know what? You, you might be standing here today and say, but I know Jesus. Yes, that might be true. But he still draws you to Jesus. That's what he does. He's like, bomb, bomb, Jesus, bomb. Put your eyes on him. Don't put your eyes on your issues. Don't put your eyes on anything else. Put your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him, and guess what? You're the joy. What? I'm the joy? Yeah. What do you think of yourself as the joy? You're the joy set before him, and that's why he did what he did, to bring us back into relationship and restore that which was lost in the garden at the beginning so that we could have renewed, refreshed, restored lives. So God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, we pray right now that you would open up our eyes, that we would see you rightly. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for enabling me this morning. And Lord God, I just lift you up and I just say, God, you're the best. There's no one like you. Who else can I go to? Who else can we go to but to you? You have the words of eternal life. So God, we give it to you this morning. We lift up our hands and say, God, would you come? Would you fill us with your spirit, with an awareness of your presence? God, will you be willingly dunked in the glorious love that you've given us would we not fight it God would we just be pushed down because of what you're doing thank you Lord we trust you let's worship him as we close this morning